All right, good morning. Good to be with you guys today. Let's turn to John 15. Very happy to see all of you. Um, as you're returning to John 15, uh, we are in the middle of our summer community groups, which I'll get to in just a second. That's kind of the big thing we have going on in July. Also, end of the month, on the 29th, is our trivia night uh, to raise money for our youth who uh, have already been to camp, actually. So it's like a retroactive uh, fundraiser. So please sign up for that. We'll be sending out a lot of info about that this week. But John 15, that's kind of going to be home base for us all in the month of July, uh, both here on Sunday mornings and in our small groups. Um, and so Wednesday nights, 6.15 to 7.30, you can sign up on the app or you can just show up. And what we've done is we've kind of split everyone into four different groups and tried to mix you up so that you're in groups with different people than you normally are. Um, and you're with the same group all, all of the Wednesday nights, and then the teachers rotate around. So they just prep one thing, and they get to teach it four times. So, if you're, so the last week's going to be the best week because they've refined all their material, all that kind of good stuff. So we'd love for all of you to be here. You can sign up or you can just show up. Uh, we know what to do when that happens. And so, um, but John 15, that's kind of like where we've been hanging out a little bit. And the Wednesday night groups are getting into some of the practicalities of things and sharing life experiences when it comes down to what Jesus give, gives us. And then on Sunday mornings, I've been taking some of the, maybe the like, uh, not, it's not controversial, but some of the, the more like touchy verses in here that maybe are a little bit different, difficult to interpret right off the bat and try to bring in some uh, studied presentation here. So let's, let's start um, in the, the beginning of John 15 and kind of get a running start at it. Jesus says, I, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And really, let's hit pause right there. Right, Really, verse 5 kind of gives us uh, a lot of what we need to know. Um, Jesus, it, this would be, like on a timeline, this would be the Thursday night of Holy Week. This is the same night that he gathered his disciples in the upper room for what they thought would be the Passover meal. And he uh, redefines the Passover meal because he is bringing a new Passover to us. Um, Sometime, either up in that, either in the upper room, or as maybe they were traveling to the Garden of Gethsemane for him to pray, or maybe once he got there, we're not really sure when. But this is a part of his last address to his disciples. And if you read, if you start in like thir read thirteen and fourteen, by the time you get here in fifteen, he said a lot, and I almost feel like he's like, hey, let me give you a really helpful like analogy to let you grab onto some of these truths before I keep going. Um, and so he talks about a, a vineyard, and really, if you look again at verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches, okay? So the vine is the part of the, of a, in, in a vineyard, that's the part that goes into the ground. It's like the trunk of the vine. Uh, like, that's, that's what goes into the ground, that's what grabs all the water and all the nutrients and 
It's where all the life source comes from. So he's like, hey, uh, some of what I'm telling you is like this. It's like if you think of a vineyard, which would have been pretty common for them, he's like, I'm like the trunk, I'm like the, the vine that goes into the ground. And you guys are like the branches that are all coming off of me. Like my life flows into your life. Uh, like he says, abide in me and I in you. The way that a vine and the branches are connected, there's this interconnectedness within their fibers where there's this unity and this oneness. He's like, hey, um, we, we are connected like a vine is to its branches, and you need to remain there. That's what this word abide means. It's like, hey, you need to, you need to live there. You need to, build your, you need to build your home there. You need to build your dwelling place here. You need to be steadfast and consistent. And this relationship is like, this is where you need to never depart from. Just detached from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot bear any fruit in your life. Your life will not look like God the Father, the Creator, designed you to look. But from me, connected to me, abiding in me, you, you can get through anything. And so he's trying to help them understand this. And then in the first verse, he brings in, he says, I'm the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. So God the Father is there overseeing the vineyard. What does the vine dresser do? The vine dresser knows when the crop needs to be watered, when it's had too much water, knows what to, what to cut back. Knows the parts of the, of the branches that are not bearing fruit. Knows how to clean them is, is what they, they called it. So he would cut out the things that aren't bearing fruit because he knows, I know, I know if I cut this right here, it will produce more growth that will bear more fruit. The vine dresser knows how to get the most fruit out of the vineyard. And so Jesus is like, okay, so I'm, the, I'm like the vine. You're the branches. The vine dresser is tending to our lives. Um, this is a pretty incredible scenario. Not to mention the fact that the fruit that you are to bear um, is to fill the earth and to bless the nations. Jesus, in part, is is like coming to say, "Hey, I'm I'm the fulfillment to the promise that I that God made to Abraham, that through his descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Not just Israel, but all the nations. Not just the U.S. right, but all the nations." So that's this really like simple yet deep imagery that he's giving them and giving to us. And that's what we've been talking about more. Like what does it mean to abide and what does that actually look like? And what does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean to go through pruning? That doesn't sound very fun. You know, those kinds of things. If you look at verse 6, this is what I got into last week. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. There's various interpretations of that. Um, You kind of have to jump outside of the imagery a little bit in order to make it work in certain contexts. But if we're staying in in context with a a vineyard, um, when branches would become disconnected, there was really no point for them anymore. They couldn't bear any fruit. You couldn't take the wood of the branches and use it to make anything that's worthwhile. Ezekiel talks about that in Ezekiel 15. It's like the, the, the wood of the, of the branch is good for nothing other than bearing fruit. That's, that's its design. 
And so what Jesus essentially is saying in context with the metaphor, he's saying, hey, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, uh, you cannot fulfill the purpose with which you were created, which is to know God, enjoy him forever, and to know one another, and to bear the kind of fruit that shows people what God looks like and invites them into the vine. So he's like, apart from me, you're wasting your life. But from me, you are fulfilling the very purpose with which you were created. Now look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, that's for today, right? That is a prosperity gospel preacher's like favorite, like one of his favorite verses to go to or hers. Favorite verses to go to. It sounds like Jesus is saying, hey, uh, just ask me for whatever and I'll give it to you. That's kind of almost like what it says, right? A lot of times in, the, in a prosperity gospel, when I say that, here's what I mean, is that they're saying, yeah, um, you just have to give your money to the church and then God will make you rich. Give your money Ask God for whatever, and he'll give it to you. And so people start giving their money and signing over their inheritance and taking their jewelry off and putting it in the offering plate. And then they don't get rich. And so they ask the pastor, why didn't they get rich? And he's like, well, it's your, it's your fault. You don't have enough faith. Just keep giving. Try to trust more. It'll, it'll get there. Um, that's not what this verse is saying. And so if you're hoping I would say that, I'm sorry. That's not, uh, you're in the wrong church for that. Um, But, but there is an appeal to this, right? Ask for whatever you wish. Ask for, well, I don't want to say wish because that's a little, I probably shouldn't say wish. They're a little too genie in a bottle, right? But we love genie stories, right? We love Aladdin. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, it feels like a couple weeks ago, it was just like two weeks ago, at youth camp, they did a silent disco. You ever seen these things? So, you come into the room and they give you a set of headphones, and on these headphones, uh, they're, they're Bluetoothed, and so there are three radio channels playing in the room, and one of them is like top 40 songs that are, uh, are clean, whatever that means, and uh, so you could, you could put it on that station, or you could put it on a station that has a lot of like line dance thing, like cha-cha slide type stuff, um, and then there was one that was like the Disney playlist. And each one had a different color, so your headphones would light up. So if you were on the cha-cha slide, you'd go find all the people that had the same color ones who were all doing that dance, and you would do that thing. And so people just kept grouping up. And the Disney one, at one point, had a friend like me was on. And you would it's really surprising to me how many people knew every single word to friend like me. It's the song from Aladdin where the genie is like uh, Robin Williams, not the Will Smith one. We don't count that one. We count the Robin Williams one, right? <laughs> Um, uh, no offense to Will, don't come hit me. Uh, sorry, sorry. Low-hanging fruit. Uh, it was a little bit easy. However, where the genie is there, and the genie's like, look, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. You've never had a friend like me who will grant you any wish that you want. And we love those stories. We love, like, there's a reason why. I mean, I, I actually did, like, deep dive research into the history of the genie myth. Um, there are traces of this 
like three centuries before Jesus was born, this is showing up. That has survived all of time and has worked its way into our culture. Um, we love that idea of out of nowhere, some powerful something can come to you and say, I'll give you whatever you want. Um, the idea that it's three, you know, is really intriguing, makes for a good story. But there's that part of us that, that we, we hear things like that and we're like, man, that would be awesome. And it's very easy to look at this and without understanding this verse is embedded in a, is, is embedded in a metaphor that is really, really important to understand it. Otherwise, we, it gets twisted into, well, how come God doesn't answer my prayers? He says, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I've been abiding, I think. I am in him. He is in me. I, haven't I been praying for the right things? Aren't I supposed to pray for healing? Aren't I supposed to pray for restoration? Aren't I supposed to pray that forgiveness would take root in this relationship? Haven't I been like, what is going on? And that's the thing. That's the thing about the prosperity gospel that never works. One, it's a false gospel, but it, it proves itself to be false because it's, it doesn't work. And if we take this as a like genie in a bottle kind of verse, then it, we, life will prove to you that this does not work. And there are people who walk away from the faith completely because they misunderstand things like this that Jesus has to say because we like, like get an exacto knife and cut this verse out of all the rest of them and put it over here. It only makes sense in the context with which he's talking. So let's look at that a little bit. And this is one of the verses where in order to understand the first, the second, sorry, the second half, you have to understand the first half. So he starts off, this is verse seven. If you abide in me, if you abide in me, what does that mean? That's part of what we're talking about a lot right now. And so if this feels repetitive, that's good because that's kind of what we need in order to learn sometimes. If we are actively remaining connected to Jesus, that's what he's saying. Like you are actively abiding in this room right now. If you're watching on live stream, you're not abiding in this room right now. Those are two different things. You are observing what's happening in this room, thanks to technology and some very generous people who are willing to come and set the cameras up and work them. And although there's nobody working any cameras right now, which is weird. Um, but like the, so you're abiding in this room. If you are sitting here in this room right now, you are remaining here. And so Jesus is like, Hey, like set up your house inside of me. If you are in that active relationship, if you are not being self-reliant, you're not disconnecting from him. And thinking, I don't really need, I don't need the, the water that he has to give me. I don't need the nutrients that he has to give me as my vine. Um, I can do just fine on my own without him. In fact, I can probably like drop to the ground. I can, I can probably dig into the ground and root and be just fine. Jesus is saying, you know, he tells us, hey, that's, that doesn't work. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, I'm the true vine. You're not a true vine. You're a branch. Know who you are. You know? and so if we're abiding in him, we're remaining in him, we're, in that, we're not being self-reliant, but we're intentionally looking to him in all things. We're under direct care of the vine dresser, letting him prune the things in our lives that are bad for us. You know, sometimes 
Sometimes the, the, the narrative that gets communicated out to the world is that Christianity just has its own set of rules. These are the things you can do, the things that you can't do. When I was in college and I'd meet people and they'd find out I was Baptist, they'd be like, hey, how come y'all can't dance? I'm like, you mean that we're bad at dancing? Or you mean like we like, like no, like aren't y'all like not allowed to dance? I was like, well, go to youth camp in 2022 and you'll see some uh, silent disco moves that would, uh, would bless you. But um, <laughs> it's like this set of rules that we have. Instead of seeing like God saying like, hey, this is bad for you. The reason that he tells us to avoid certain things in our lives is because they're, they're like unhealthy for his children. Parents, you, know, you understand that. Sometimes you, you, you communicate things to your kids in the form of rules because like, you're like, that's the only thing that they're, like they need black and white instruction sometimes. But the heart behind it for you is like, that is going to destroy you if you get close to that. And so he said, if, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you are reliant upon me for all things, an active relationship, you're in full view of the vine dresser and letting him tend to your life and cut out the things that are bad for you. That's the first part of the verse. Then he says in the second phrase, and my words abide in you. So you're remaining in him, but you're, you're also receiving the life that he is flowing into you as the branch. You're, you're receiving the truth, and that's starting to resonate with you. It's his example of what the kingdom of God looks like in real life. Like That's something you're, like, you're, you're observing it, and you're studying it, and you're discussing it, and you're trying to put it into your life and practice it. That The way that he thinks about God and self and the world structures and all that, it starts to reshape the way that you think. Um, the things that he desires begin to be the things that you also desire. The, the way that he prays is, sounds a lot like the way you're starting to pray. And the power of, that raised him from the dead is starting to like, change things in your own life. That, like we sang about, those graves are, are no longer graves. They're, they're taking on like, actual life because he has resurrected you. Like, so you are abiding in him, and his words are abiding in you, that there's this transformative thing that is happening. If, when all that is there, then he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. As you become like him, the things that you are asking for become like him. That's what he's saying. That's... The entire goal behind like following a rabbi, I've said this a billion times, is to become just like the rabbi. It's to watch him and observe, observe everything he's doing and to begin to imitate him be, so that you are transformed into living a life just like him. That's why he says, if anyone wants to come after me, if you want to do this Jesus kingdom of God thing, you have to just deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and, fi- and follow me. You have to abide in me and my words abide in you. And then what you'll start to notice is that your prayers sound different than they used to. That your wishes will start to sound different than they used to. We see this in other places in the Bible as well. Um, like in John 14. So he's already said this to them. 
13 and 14. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in, in my name, I will do it. So in their day, names were attached to not only character, but also destiny. You didn't just name your child something random. You didn't name them necessarily even after someone. They would name them, and a lot of those footnotes in your Bible, that's like, this name means this, this name means this, this name means this. What you named your child was almost like your prayer for them, which is why it's really sad when some of the names in the Bible are like terrible things. You're like, ah, you obviously did not like your child because it meant something terrible. And so when he says, if you ask for something in my name, he's saying, when you ask for something that is consistent with my character and who I am, the father is like, oh, yes, that. So that's not why we tag in Jesus' name onto our prayers. We're hoping that what we has, everything that has preceded that is in the name and character of Christ. So that's John 14, and we read John 15. In John 16, he says this, um, in 22 and 23, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So that's three times in this final address he's saying, hey, um, when... When your transformation leads to you asking for the same things that the Father, Son, and Spirit are asking for, there's some power that happens there. James says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And this is what we're talking about. In 1 John chapter 5, the same John says this, uh, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. He's just constantly passing on this incredible thing that Jesus has said. And then we actually see it in Psalm 34. David is the predecessor to these thoughts where he says, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Which again, you read that and you're like, wait a second. They give me whatever I want. Like, no. Delight yourself in the Lord, and the desires that your heart has will be given to you by God. He will change what your heart desires. So this is an incredible, incredible thing. He's saying, stay connected, do not disconnect, and you will live the life you were created to live. Sometimes I feel like we look at our lives, and there's, there's the life that we're living, and there's the life that we want to live. But not in a, like... American dream kind of way with possessions and all this kind of stuff. There, I think there's that part of us that's like, man, I, I want to become more than I am now. And the temptation is the older you get to settle, like kind of settle back and be like, well, I guess that's just not, not me. I guess I'm just never going to be the prayer warrior. I guess I'm just never going to be the person who loves to dive into the scriptures. I guess I'm just never going to be the person who can just express in a community group, small group setting like where they are with the Lord, the ways that they're praying. I guess I'll never be that person who just sings their heart out in a worship service. I guess I'll just, you know, you know what I'm saying. 
So Jesus says, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. Look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, this, this one verse is in this context of Jesus saying, hey, I know that you want your lives to look a certain way. I'm telling you how that works. You've been raised in a world and in a culture that's told you all kinds of lies. I'm here telling you what is true. And these truths might be hard to understand, so let me give you some imagery that you can wrap your mind around. Vine, branches, vine dresser, fruit. Disconnected, bad. Connected, anything is possible. Now, I could probably stop there and you're probably wishing that I would, but I'm not. Because I started to think a little bit more of like, okay, what... I kept coming back to this, this the part of verse 7. If you abide in me, but the, my words abide in you. That's a little bit different than he said in other places. He's like, abide in me and I in you. But here he gets really specific about his words abiding in us. There's something to that. About the words of Christ. Like Paul says in Colossians 3, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That there's the relational abiding, but then there's something really specific in the words. That the words of Christ have to come and live inside of us. They have to like find their dwelling place inside of us. That's why we study the word. That's why we get together in groups and discuss, what does this mean? How do we do this? What works for you? Here's what works for me. Does anyone have any experience with this? How can we help one another walk this out? Like the, the, that's why, it's because we want the word of Christ to abide in us, to remain in us, to set up camp and dwelling in us, to consistently be there so we are not disconnecting, but we are connecting And that transformation comes as we abide and the longer we abide. And so what should be happening for all of us is the older we get, the better we get. The more like the rabbi we get. Are we we getting better with age? Is the, the words of Christ dwelling in us richly more and more and more and more? It says in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. What did the apostles teach? They taught what Jesus had taught them. They were like one degree of separation away from, from him. And so they were just regurgitating, oh, Jesus said this, and Jesus said this, and Jesus said this. And they started to write it down. They started to spread it out there. And all these years later, we have this book that his words can dwell in us richly. Now, the, the way that this happens, I think, is different for all of us. But 
Let me tell you how, tell you how I've experienced this in the last couple of years. Um, just to give you an example, and not as a way to like work through my own stuff in front of you. That's not what this is for. But I do, I do want to be able to share my life with you, of course. And I also feel like this, for me, is one of the most tangible ways that this has happened. Um, it is obviously my profession to study the Bible, and so I obviously love it. Uh, and I want you to love it, but not because I love it. You know, you kind of want everyone to love the things that you love. It's not one of those kind of things. It's I believe that, like Jesus said, my words abide in you on purpose. And so, but this is a book that at times makes a lot of sense to me, and it is full of mystery and all kinds of other stuff too. Um, so three years ago, today actually, um, my infant niece went to live in heaven and uh, she had a very rare medical condition that uh, thanks to uh, doctors and science and all the things, um, we as a family were able to have a heads up on and prepare for. And so we knew that uh, we knew that she would not be with us for very long. And so um, the and there's a lot more to it, obviously, than that. Um, so with her condition, we, we weren't sure if she'd make it through the birth, you know, through her birth. And so uh, at the hospital that day, everyone's, you know, obviously on edge and prayerful and all that. And the two Sundays before, uh, I had been teaching on the promises of God. And so I'd been studying a lot in terms of, like, what, in the Bible, what's a promise that we can build our lives on, and what is not necessarily a promise, you know, that kind of thing. Um, in Isaiah 41, there's a promise that is made to Israel, but uh, Jesus is the new Israel, and we're grafted into him and all this, so really this is ours too. And this is what it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay? That was in the sermon, the Sunday, both the Sundays before she was born. And so that had kind of been, that had been dwelling in me richly. Okay? Uh, I'd studied it, I'd memorized it, I had, it had come to mean something to me. Um, and so uh, the day of her birth, um, the waiting room was getting, it was just getting, it was just, I was like, I just need to like step out a little bit. Um, and so I like went to like out in the hallway and went toward uh, the like NICU and um, I'm leaning against the wall and I'm praying and I'm, you know, just kind of like, you know, doing what you think. And um, I look up and this is what I see. Chris, we put that picture up there. Now, they didn't get the translation right, but that's the same, the same verse. The same verse, like uh, there's a group of verses that have been dwelling in me richly, and I look up, and that's right in front of me. And this is not a Christian hospital. Like you would expect that at the lake, you know, but I don't think the general is a Christian hospital. I'm like, man. So I looked at it, and I was like, okay, we're doing this. And... In that moment, I cannot tell you that uh, all of my questions were answered. I can't tell you that uh, 
it made everything okay. Can't tell you that. Uh, I can't tell you what it changed. The only way I can describe it is I, is I feel like the like it didn't lessen the pain. It just made it a different kind of pain. And so I was looking at that verse, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and from that point, uh, she lived for several weeks, and then uh, she passed away. And uh, lives with Jesus now, so she's great. And through that time, I cannot say that I walked around and quoted that verse to everyone and all that kind of stuff. But those were the those were the parts of the word that just dwelled in me richly, and that changed how I prayed. It changed how I interacted with people. It changed how I shared when people would be kind enough to ask how I was doing. It changed how I shared with that with them. It, it it changed so much because I'm looking at this verse and I'm like, okay, uh, fear not for I am with you. Was that for me? Is that for her? Is that for uh, and God? Yeah, it's for everybody. Like, okay, he's he's with me. So um, that's pretty amazing. That's dwelling in me richly. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I'm like, I don't know. This is pretty dismaying. But... Uh, but what was happening to me is instead of like shaking my fist at God and saying, I don't understand this. It's almost like through the, this word dwelling in me richly, it's like that fist just became like open hands. They were saying the same thing. I don't understand this, you know? And so I can't say that I wasn't dismayed. But it's like being dismayed was okay. You know why? Because the, the other words of Christ that dwell in me richly, you know what some of them are? When he was praying in the garden and he asked God, hey, can we do this another way? Can this cup pass by me without me having to drink from it? You know what that tells me? It's, it's okay to be honest with God in my prayers because the words of Christ were honest with God in those moments. The Psalms are filled with, with David saying all these things to God. That's what Tim Keller says. Hey, the Psalms, it's 150 lists of things that it's okay to say to God. So I have those words that dwell in me richly. I, I have his, his prayer for us in John 17. I have the Lord's prayer. I, I have his prayer life on record to dwell in me richly. This verse, it, it, it helped. Like, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Um, there's one of the translations that says... Uh, um, no, 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 sorry. It's elsewhere in Isaiah. He says, uh, into old age, I carried you. That was another verse that had dwelled in me richly that I had taught on, and I was like, oh, that's what I need. I need carrying right now. That's what she needs. That's what my family needs. That's what mom and dad need. That's what we all we need to be carried. You know? And so I cannot, again, say that like, it fixed everything. That's just, that's just not how the real world works. And that is not lost on the true vine or the vine dresser. Not lost on the Lord. Yeah, life is hard. Like it's full of really great, beautiful, incredible things. It's also full of pain. And when Jesus was here, he experienced the full spectrum of it. 
And he comes to you and I and he says, abide in me, let my words abide in you. And you know what? You can get through it. I'll change the things that you're asking for. I'll show you how to walk through all seasons of life, no matter what struggles or victories come your way. Apart from me, you can do nothing, but from me, you can do all things because I carry you and give you strength. So can we just love the word, you know, not worship the Bible, but can we, can we just say that, Hey, like our transformation, us becoming who we want to be is going to happen in connection to the words that he has given us. Abide in me and my words abide in you. How do we know the words? They're right here from cover to cover. And you say, well, the Bible is too much, too, it's too big, it's too intimidating. It, it doesn't have to be. If you want to learn to get into the word more, let's, let's share a cup of, not share a cup of coffee. Let's have a cup of coffee. We each have one. That'd be, that'd be weird. Or two straws, Lady in the Tramp style. We'll, we'll figure it out. I promise you, this, like, he's not giving you an unattainable book. He's given us everything that we need in order for us to, like for our lives to look the way we want them to look, in order for the vineyard to do what the vineyard is supposed to do. He's given us resurrection life in Christ, our true vine. He's given us the leadership of the Father, the empowerment of the Spirit, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. He's given us a written account of the truth that will guide us and shape us. In this written account, we have this track record of unbelievable faithfulness. He's given us a community, a bunch of branches to walk through life with. He's given a kingdom that is unshakable and a living hope and a future that is without sin, completely holy, together with God and each other. I'm not trying to sell you the Bible. I'm just saying that the life, the life we were created to live, he's set us up and given us everything that we could possibly need. From the internal to the very, very practical, to the relational vertically and horizontally, he has said, hey, uh, you, you can do this. The kingdom of God is yours. It belongs to the children, which is us. So perhaps abiding, maybe there's something to that. You know? So I don't know what this stirs in you. I don't know how the words of Christ can come to dwell in you more richly, but that's yours to steward. And I know that I like wrap up the sermon the same way every time, and I don't want that to get monotonous, but in a few minutes, we're going to say the priestly blessing over one another. We're going to go into whatever your Sunday holds. And so between now and that moment, that can, there can be some like sacredness to that. And so that's why we sing, and that's why we give you the opportunity to come and kneel and pray. That's why we have communion over here to your right that perhaps receiving the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out 
for you, perhaps receiving that for you today is what you, like, that's what needs to happen. There's something about that little bit of juice and that little bit of weird bread dwelling inside of your body that does something. And you may, you may be here today and you're like, I don't even know that I've ever, ever truly like come to Jesus and said, I, I want to abide in you. I want you to abide in me. Maybe that is not a relationship step that you've ever taken with him. The good thing is you don't, you don't have to jump through any hoops for that to happen. You don't have to go to a bunch of classes. You don't have to have me repeat a prayer. You know, you don't have to do one of those things. You can just tell him. I believe that you are who you said you are, that you've come to save me from my sins and from death and from my very self who is so prone to destruction. I want to come after you as my rabbi. If that is something that, if that is a prayer that you pray today, do not leave here without telling someone, and that someone will probably bring you to me. So if you want to just come straight to me, that'd be great too. But that's between you and the Lord. And so these next few moments... What do you need to do with what has happened from the time you walked in until now? God has brought you here for something. What that is, that's for you uh, to steward. So I'm going to pray for us. Our musicians will come back up. And as we sing and pray, there can be communion and prayer and all these things going on. So let's stand together. Let me pray over us. Lord God, I'm thankful for this room full of people. And for anyone that's watching over the live stream, either in this moment or down the line. And God, we as branches, we're, we're not the most consistent when it comes to abiding. But we, de- we desire that, though. The Christ in us, the hope of glory, desires connection that never gets disconnected. So I'm thankful that Becoming reconnected is just a matter of like looking to you. I'm thankful for the words of Christ that have come to dwell richly in us. The words that have shown us the way of salvation, the way of true life, the way of the kingdom of God. And I pray, God, that this morning, before we dismiss and go our separate ways, that that we would be able to hear what you're saying to us, get a sense for what a response looks like, and that we would not just go through the motions, but that we would abide in you and that your words would abide in us, and that you would continue to change the things that we ask for so that we are lining up with you, our minds with your minds, our desires with your desires. That you would continue to change us more and more into your image each day. And so as we sing, pray, these next few moments, may you have your way among us. We love you and we thank you. Pray this in your name.